I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And if you need a Bible this morning, you can take the one that's in front of you and you'll find our text, Ephesians 1, on page 976. There's a young boy in this church uh, who loves Spider-Man, like a lot of young boys in this church. But this guy, I mean, he loves Spider-Man. For those eight or ten of you in here who don't know who Spider-Man is, uh, Spider-Man is a Marvel superhero who uh, in his everyday life is Peter Parker, just this average guy. But then when he puts on the Spider-Man suit, uh, he uses his Spider-Man superpowers uh, to fight evil, fight against evil and to fight for good. And this little guy in our church, um, he has his own Spider-Man suit, which he wears a lot, uh, as much as he possibly can. And uh, he sees himself coming alongside Peter Parker and fighting evil and fighting against evil and fighting for good. One problem, though, a month ago, uh, school began and you can't wear your Spider-Man costume to school. So he had to go to school, but he was excited because it was big boy school, not just parents day out. He got home that day and his Mother asked him, said, uh, said, well, how was school? What did you like about school? And he's just, guys, just full of energy. He says, everything. I love everything about school. And then he paused for a second and he said to his mom, he said, mom, listen, when I go to big boy school, I have to wear a Colland shirt. That's collared. I have to wear a Colland shirt. Uh, but when I get home from big boy school, I can change out of my Colland shirt and I can, I can put on my Spider-Man costume just like Peter Parker. And then he paused for a second and he said, Mom, I really hope my teacher doesn't find out my secret identity. (laughs) There is a lot of confusion these days in our world about our identities. And there are a lot of voices clamoring uh, to offer up identities for us. There is a sense in which the thought of identity, identity politics, identity, even at the base of who we are, is being challenged. And a lot of us confused at times. Sometimes that confusion and those challenges are coming to us at the very core levels, even of our biology, so to speak. And other times they're coming to us and voices are clamoring for our attention at much more trivial uh, matters. Things like football teams and colleges and schools and clubs and organizations. But all of us, all of us long to know what our identity is, who we are, how we tag things on that people would understand and we ourselves would understand who we are. And certainly we've learned even the last few weeks that even the the most well-formed identities, the, the being sure of who you are can be challenged, can be shaken, can be rattled by tragedy, by fear, by vulnerability. What does God's word, what does God's truth have to say about our identity, about who we are? Do you follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 and reading through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning, we would ask that you would work in such a way by the power of your spirit to apply this word to the very places in our heart that we need them. Heavenly Father, Open the eyes of our heart. Show us the things in your word that you desire us to know. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So friends, what is your identity? If somebody were to seriously sit down with you and say, hey, tell me about yourself. Help me to know, tell me to know who you are. What is it that you would say? What would, what would come to mind? This world would tell us as we search for identity and try to figure out who we are, the world would tell us that what we need to do is to really look inside ourselves. You need to take some time and you just need to be quiet and you just look inside yourselves. And if you take time to look inside yourself, you're going to find out who you are. That's a terrible thing. It's not true and it only leads to disaster. We don't we look inside ourselves to find out who we are. What we find is we find is brokenness. We find confusion. We find sin. We can find evil. That's what we find when we look inside ourselves. No, the only thing that makes sense, friends, if we're really seeking to find our identity is to, is to look at the one who created us, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to not be looking inside ourselves, but to look at the one who created us and see what he says about us. To gain our identity from the only one outside ourselves who could speak in to the places of brokenness and fear and vulnerability and confusion and all of that. And so in the verses that we have before us, there is, as one pastor puts it, a sweep of praise, a sweep of praise to God. These verses are about God, about the triune God. And Paul is speaking this, this great moment of praise. In fact, these 11 verses uh, in the original language, they're just, they're just one long one run-on sentence. There's no punctuation here. Um, they just, he's just bursting forth in the sweep of praise about who God is. And it's understanding, in understanding who God is, we then begin to understand who we are, what our identity is. So what is it that I want you to know? Well, for those of you who say, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to follow him, believe that the Lord's my Savior, can I, can I take some time here and, and show you from God's word who it is that you are? First of all, what we see in these verses 
is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your trust in Jesus, that you are chosen by God. Chosen by God. Verse 4 says it right there. Even as he chose us. He chose us. Now, if you're a recovering Arminian like me who didn't grow up Presbyterian, don't get tripped up. <laughs> don't get tripped up by this. Don't, get, don't let your brain start to rattle around and go into this kind of death spiral of, well, where does free will begin? And when does God's sovereignty begin? And, uh, and uh, try to piece all those things together. It's, it's complicated, but I will tell you this. Don't get tripped up. Just notice that it's here. It's here in our text. It just says, he chose us. And the word predestination predestined appears twice. We can't do anything about it. It's just there. It's just there. He chose us. Well, well, I don't want those of you who are recovering Arminians like me to get tripped up by that. I also would want to say to those of you who, you know, grew up in Presbyterianism since the time you were like, you know, one day old, don't get prideful about it either. Isn't it interesting how, how we can get prideful about it as Presbyterians? Prideful about the doctrine of election. There's nothing to be prideful about. Nothing at all. I love what the great Scottish and Presbyterian preacher Eric Alexander says about this. He says, embracing the doctrine of election is not then to become for us a banner under which we march, nor is it a bomb to be dropped on people, but rather it is a bastion for our souls. It is a fortress for our souls. When we bow down in the amazing awareness of the fact that we are who we are in Christ, because before the dawn of time, he set his affection on us. Before the dawn of time, he set his affection on us. God set his affection on us. And as it says there in verse 5, and adopted us as his sons, as his daughters. I love that God in his word uses the term adoption for our understanding of who we are as children of God. I love the thought of adoption. Because it involves a choosing. Now, I am, I'm not adopted, and I, I don't have any kids that are adopted, but I do have some nieces and a nephew who are adopted, and I love it. And for those of you in here who are adopted, I just think it's an absolutely beautiful thing. I just, in some ways, I'm a little bit jealous of what you have experienced and what you understand when it comes to God's word if you've been adopted because that's the word that's used to describe how we come into the family of God because in that, there's a choosing. In adoption, there's a real choice here. I read a story earlier this week about a father and a teenage dad, a teenage a dad and a teenage son who were in an argument as can happen between dads and teenage sons sometimes, probably over nothing, probably didn't even really matter what the deal was, and it was a, a silly issue, but they're, they're getting into it. They're really arguing this point, and more and more heated, and finally, the teenage son says to his dad, I didn't ask to be born into this family, and the dad, still frustrated, said, yeah, and if you had, I would have said no. <laughs> but you see, in adoption, there's a real choosing the parents really choose the child. The parents see the child many times before the child even has any awareness of who the parents are or that those adopting parents exist. You see, that's what God has done for us. God saw you before you saw him. And when he saw you, he said, oh, 
her. I want her. She's mine. Oh, that one, him. I want him. He's mine. Oh, her. I want her. I, I choose her. I want her to be mine. God saw you before you saw him. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, if that is your faith, if that's what you're resting on, then you are his chosen child. That's who you are. Chosen of God. And then it goes on and shows us in these verses that not only are we chosen by God, but that we're united to Christ. We're united to Christ. You realize that 12 times in these 11 verses, think about that, 12 times in these 11 verses, Paul mentions our spiritual union with Christ. That we are in him, that we are in Christ, that we are connected to him. That spiritual union of Christ is talked about in all places throughout the epistles. It is something that we could spend the, the, every day for the next, the rest of our lives and we still, won't, we still won't come to the depths of how meaningful that is, how powerful it is, that we have been united to Christ, not by anything we've done, but by God's power. And we could learn more and more about that. But for our purposes in our time this morning, let me just talk about one facet of that. Let's just understand a little bit more about that this morning. I want you to notice in verse 3, which is the, the verse that begins the whole passage and actually describes everything that Paul wants to say here, that God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And there, the word spiritual blessing is not just the opposite of material blessing. It's actually referring to the Holy Spirit himself. So there we see in that first verse, the Trinity, God blessing in Christ through the Spirit, bringing these spiritual blessings. And then notice the last phrase, in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. That phrase, in the heavenly places, is used five times, only five times in the New Testament. And all five of them appear in the book of Ephesians. So let's go to a couple others. So go down through chapter 1 until you get to verse 19. Here, Paul is talking about the power of God that has that has brought us salvation and the power of God. That's the same power of God that is in Christ. And so he says in verse 19 of Ephesians 1, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him in, in, at his right hand in the heavenly places. God's power raised up Christ and seated Christ in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's it saying? It's saying that in the heavenly places, Christ is seated in power and in glory and in dominion. That's where he is. Seated in the heavenly places. Let's keep going. Keep going in your Bibles in Ephesians to chapter 2. And let's pick up in verse 4. Now talking about our salvation. How has that happened? Verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Think about that. It's the exact same words that were used of Christ. God's power has raised up Christ and has seated Christ in the heavenly places. And now it says that God's power has raised us up in Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And notice it's, a past, it's the past tense. Notice that this is something that's already been secured. It's already happened. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if this is your faith, then according to Scripture, you have been raised up in Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What does that mean? How do we, how do we figure that out? But before we do that, before we, before we draw the conclusion, go back then to verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. And notice there it says, In him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him, in Christ, we have. In Christ, we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have the riches of his grace. In him, we have. You are seated in Christ. You have been raised up in Christ. What's that mean? It means that already now, even though you and I are not in heaven, already right now we are experiencing aspects of heaven though we're not there yet because you are united to Christ. And that uniting to Christ is not something you've done, but it's by the power of God himself. And it's something that's already been secured for you. It's there. It's there. And that is why we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear, I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Nothing. Nothing of significance can any human on this earth do to you. No one, no human, no group of humans can take away what you have secured as God's chosen child being seated and raised up with Christ, united to him. No human, nothing in this world, nothing in this world can do anything to damage that. It's secure. <laughs> do you know who you are? You are united to Christ. That's who you are. That's why Paul could say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He could say that with confidence, not because of who he was by himself, but because who Christ had made him by being united to Christ. Brothers and sisters, if this is your faith, that is who you are. You are raised up and seated with Christ not only chosen by God as his precious child, not only united to Christ, but finally and certainly not least, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the, the very last part of verse 13 and then a phrase that goes into verse 14. It says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? Now, if you're an underline, Bible underliner like me, there's a three words I want you to underline. Sealed, promised, 
and guarantee. There's something about the work of the Holy Spirit in us that is a seal, that is a promise, that is a guarantee. Well, of what? Of what is it a seal and a promise and a guarantee? I know it's uh, almost, it's almost noon and some of you are hungry and this is not a nice thing for the, the pastor to do to say, hey, I need you to dig a little deep in your intellect and we got to think a little bit as we look at this passage. But I got to take you here because it's just too exciting to miss. You got to see it. And I'll begin by saying, unfortunately, I think that the direction that the translators of the ESV Bibles, which are in front of us, ESV Bibles, which are in front of us, the direction they've taken in this, though understandable, I don't actually think is the the best of the translations. I think the NIV does a little bit better here in this place. And the point is this, there seems to be some confusion about the inheritance and the possession, whether that is our inheritance and possession or whether we are the inheritance and possession. And that's where the confusion, now you can see the ESV Bible seem to have moved in that direction, but I don't think that makes the most sense when you look at the rest of Scripture. And just so you're not too panicky, there's a lot of great scholars who think this too. It's not me just coming up with it on my own. Instead, as you study that, the words that are, that are, that are here that are key, I'll give you the English But there's one word in Greek, it's kleru, which is usually translated heritage or inheritance. And then there's this phrase about the redemption of the purchased possession. So possession, heritage, inheritance, that's what's going on here. And talking about God's people, God's people. Now, how do we get to who is this speaking about? Is it our inheritance that we get or are we the inheritance that God's get? I really think... It's that we are the inheritance that God gets. Now, let me tell you why I think that. Because if you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I know many of you women are studying through the book of Deuteronomy in your Bible study right now. In fact, my wife told me how much she loves Deuteronomy 4. She told me the other day, she goes, I just don't want to leave Deuteronomy 4. It's so amazing. And I said to her, well, it is amazing, but I'm, I mean, Chapter 6 and 7 are pretty awesome too. You're going to like that. She's like, I don't know. We'll see. I really like Deuteronomy 4. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, it says this, talking about God's people, about his salvation of his people. It says in verse 20, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So the people that God saves are to God an inheritance. Says this in other places too, even in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse nine, listen to this, speaking about God's people, how, who he has saved. Says this, Deuteronomy 32, nine, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. So the people that God saves are his inheritance, are his portion, are his possession, his allotted heritage. We could look in all kinds of places in the Psalms, but I'm just going to go to one place, and that's in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, Messianic Psalm, speaking about the reign of Christ and speaking about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8 of Psalm 2, God says to his Son, Ask of me... And I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. See, we've been saved to be his possession, his inheritance, his heritage. 
And so now when you take all that back to Ephesians chapter 1, and you think about the indwelling Holy Spirit that's given to believers, and you think about those three words, promise and seal and guarantee, here's what you have, brothers and sisters, that God's promise is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of promise. In fact, literally in the Greek, in this passage, that's what it's called, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of promise. That promise is in you. That promise is in you. And that seal, that seal of God, we don't use those, we don't use seals. We don't use wax seals really anymore on letters or things like that that are our our property. Maybe uh, an illustration that would help us kind of understand what's going on would be the branding of cattle out on ranch farms. And different ranchers have different uh, brands that they put on their cattle so that as the cattle wander around, the rancher's like, oh, no, no, those, that cattle over, that's mine. This, it wandered into your ranch, but this is mine. Or, and the other rancher's like, yeah, that's not mine. That's not my brand. That's the seal and so the Holy Spirit being placed in you is a, is a seal. You are marked by the Holy Spirit in you. You are marked as belonging to God, not because of anything you've done, brothers and sisters, but because the Holy Spirit is in you. You're marked, you're sealed by him. And then this guarantee or deposit, it really is a down payment. The Holy Spirit in us is a down payment of all that is to come. And while we're experiencing parts of heaven right now, there's still a fuller experience to have for us. There's, there's a fullness that awaits us. But there is a deposit that has already taken place by the Holy Spirit being placed in you. It's not just, a, it's not just simply a, hey, here's some money, hold my spot. No, it's like when you put a deposit, a down payment on a house. You have a $150,000 house, let's say. And some of you right now are thinking, where is this $150,000 house? I would like to buy that one. You have a $150,000 house, and so you, you have $30,000 saved up, and you, you put that as a down payment. But that's not just to hold your spot. That's actually part of the payment, right? You put a down payment, and that, that doesn't hold, just hold your spot. It's actually part of the cost. It's part of, of the ownership of that. And so the Holy Spirit in us is that, a promise, a seal, a deposit, a down payment. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, when he's talking about what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in us, he can say in Romans 8, verse 16, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's the Holy Spirit the promise, the seal, the deposit, the guarantee that shows us that we have been marked as God's possession, as God's heritage, as God's inheritance. That's who you are. If you put your faith in Christ, that's who you are. I have a good friend of mine who is a very humble and gentle guy. I don't know that I've ever seen him really get angry. He's talked occasionally to me about getting angry, but I've never really seen him angry. He's just not that kind of guy. And he was ordering uh, food from a restaurant here in Memphis. He was at his house. His, his college-age daughters were home, and they were ordering dinner from a place that they have ordered from a lot. In fact, I think, believe my friend knows uh, the owner there. And um, so calls a lot and gets the food delivered. And he had done that, and the, and the order had come to the house. 
and there were, there were some things missing, and maybe it wasn't, the food wasn't very hot, but the things missing was the real, the real issue. So my friend, not, not upset, not angry, gets on the phone, calls the restaurant, and says, hey, listen, there's some things missing uh, from, the, from the order, about to sit down with my family, and, uh, and he says, so I'd really, um, you know, could you please, you know, go ahead and, and, and take care of that, and I guess this girl who's on the phone, not the owner, not the manager, maybe it was the manager, I don't know, but she says, well, we'll, we'll send you the things that are missing. And he says, no, 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 no. By the time you send me the things that are missing, the whole dinner's going to be cold. Just, just redo the whole dinner. Just redo the whole dinner. Very calmly, very nicely. And uh, this person responds, we're not going to do that. Well, my friend, you know, starting to get heated up a little bit. You know, the temperature's starting to rise, and he's trying to get a little firmer with this person. Oh, you need to do this, and, you know, going on and on. And this, you know, dear sweet hostess or whatever she was, she's like, no, we're not going to do that. And so there starts to be a little battle here. And, and my friend who, again, who is very calm and, and usually very calm and who is patient and who is humble um, is getting angry. Temperature's rising. Temperature's rising. I'm sure I wasn't there, but I'm sure his daughters and his wife were like, whoa, whoa. Things are getting heated up here on the phone. And it kept getting that way. And my friend was not getting what he wanted. And finally, just out of really just anger and frustration, he said (laughs) to this poor sweet girl, do you know who I am? (laughs) To which I believe the person said, click, (laughs) and just hung up on him. (laughs) And his daughters just laughed at him. Like, what in the world, dad? (laughs) That was supposed to work? Do you know who I am? I've thought about that all week because I've been thinking about you and about this and I'd love to flip it and I'd love to say to each one of you who struggles with doubt who struggles with vulnerability insecurity, fear in your relationship with Christ I would love to say to you do you know who you are? do you know who you are? You are chosen of God, united to Christ, indwelled by the Spirit. Oh, you don't have just a secret identity. (laughs) No, your identity is displayed in glory, seated with Christ in the heavenly places and secured for all eternity. That is who you are to the praise of his glory. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would seal these things to our hearts, the things that are in your word. Apply them to the places in our hearts that need it the most. Father, for my friends in here who struggle with fear, whose whose faith has been rattled by the events of the past few weeks, oh, Father, remind them again they are yours and that you have them. For those who struggle with doubts, whose own sin has caused them to just wallow in shame and guilt, would you remind them again that they can come to you in repentance, that you are a father who loves them dearly, and that you have chosen them as your possession, and that they can receive, they have in Christ that forgiveness. And Father, if there's any in here who do not know that, who do not know what it is to be 
uh, your child, oh Father, would you stir in their hearts right now and call them to yourself. Lord, for all of these things, we offer our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.